sing this with me. Even when I fall, you carry me. And even when I stumble, you are Is alive in 
How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody good? Spirit of God moving in your heart this morning? 
touching you, man, it's so powerful when we come together, right? I mean, we need to have our times alone with the Father, our times alone with the Lord, but, man, there's something powerful when we all come to each other and we look each other in the eye and we say, man, I'm not alone in this thing. I'm not alone in loving the Lord. I'm not alone in following Christ, which sometimes it can feel like we're alone, right? I mean, you look out in the world, you go out into the world, it feels like nobody's paying attention to what God has done. Nobody's looking at the mountains and going, hey, look at that. That points to God. No one's looking at the sky or the animals or the trees and going, wow, this is our God. He made us. But there are. There are people. We're not alone. Amen? Amen? We're not alone. God has put many people on this planet who have not given up, who have not bought into the lies of the world. And some of them are here with us this morning, amen. We're here together saying, hey, man, this, we're going we're gonna to come together. We're going to be healed. We're going to be transformed. And we're going to go out into the world and remind the world that when everything else fails, that he will always remain, right? When everything else seems like it's crumbling, when everything else seems like it's chaotic, then we know that we can stand, stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ, as he will always remain. Even if the mountains fall into the sea, right? I spend a lot of time with young people, and sometimes, you know, students get overwhelmed. We all do with different things. And I, I was talking to some students saying, guys, I'm telling you, if it, what, if, what if the worst thing happened? What if today the earth literally cracked in half? I mean, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a physicist, but I'm thinking if the earth cracked in half, I think it's, a, it's the last day that we all have on earth, right? I think we're going to die, I think something's going to happen bad if the earth cracks in half, not just the people near the crack, but all over the earth, right? But we serve a God who could take the earth, put it back together, and give all of our lives back to us. This is the God that we serve. He's powerful beyond our imagination, I can't even imagine that devastation, but how God could just go, oh, yeah, I got it. Everybody's back to life. I mean, that's just easy for him, right? That's just, this is the God that we serve. So, hi, my name is Jeff Dio. Everybody say hi, Jeff. <laughs> All right, we got some, I like this congregation because uh, it seems like you guys respond. You're not afraid to be vocal. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to, to hear and to see what God's been doing in this service, in this in this community, in this fellowship of believers. Um, I'm excited. I'm thankful to have been invited to come and, and speak this morning. Uh, Pastor Tom, uh, I'm just grateful for his heart for you guys, his heart for this message that the Lord has given me uh, for such a time as this, uh, this awakening pure worship moment. Before I get into all that, though, I do want to share just a picture real quick with you of my family so you feel like you're a little bit more connected to me, okay? So this is my family. Uh, somebody needs to go, oh, you know, oh, isn't that nice? I mean, you know, at least for the little girl, right? I mean, the rest of us, but no, and, and my beautiful wife, but um, so uh, that's the six of us. Uh, I actually uh, drove the five hours from Minneapolis uh, yesterday. And we'll drive home after the service uh, today to be with my family. They're all at our home church there, uh, Celebration Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. But uh, that's my wife there of 26 years. Can you believe that? I know. Come on, right? We got married when we were 12. So, you know. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. I'm a little older than you might think. Well, maybe it's pretty obvious with the hair and everything. But anyway, so we've been married for 26 years. It's incredible. Martha is my best friend. 
Uh, of course, it's not always been easy, but, man, we're sticking together no matter what. In the name of Jesus, uh, we're thankful to be doing life together. We're not alone in that as we serve the Lord. And then the Lord has given us these four amazing creatures, um, <laughs> um, starting with three boys. We got the oldest there in the back, Roman uh, Roman Jeffrey, he is 15, and y'all just need to pray for me, okay? Is it okay if I say y'all in this church? I mean, it's just a, it's a country thing, you know. Uh, my wife is actually from Mississippi. I grew up in Colorado, uh, Indiana, and Ohio. But, uh, man, it, it, can, can y'all just pray for me? Because my 15-year-old, he just got his driver's permit, you know what I'm saying? And, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's scary. Like, I, it definitely has increased my prayer life. So, um, and, and I just have this reaction when I'm on the passenger side. I just want to put that brake on, you know. Anyways, that's Robert. No, he's actually doing a really good job. I'm very proud of him. We're only six hours into the 50 hours. of. Did y'all did you ever do the, the math on that whole thing? Like, I did the math real quick. We have to do 50 hours of driver's training with this guy, right? It can only be one adult and him. Do y'all understand that's, do you know how much money that is? <laughs> and gas, just the gas alone. I mean, if you're, yeah, anyways, yeah. It's like $500. Anyways, all right. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, the guy sitting next to me there, that's Evan. He's 14. Uh, he's a freshman. I got two in high school. It's hard to believe. Truly amazing. Uh, they're in the marching band. They both play musical instruments. Also, Evan there, he plays flag football. Uh, they just got trounced yesterday by another team. Anyways, but or on Saturday, that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we got Channing here with a very nice smile. That's, that's very unusual. Usually our kids, they just kind of give you that smile like, does this look good? Is this a good spot for the picture? Yeah, it's, no, it's not. But he looks great in that picture, so I don't know. That was a miracle. Uh, Channing, he's, he's, he's going into third grade, or he is in third grade. And uh, uh, his, man, uh, he's in Spanish immersion school. That's a whole other story. He and his little sister are in Spanish immersion school. It's a really, really cool thing. They're learning to think and speak in Spanish, incredible opportunities for ministry and missions uh, and, and other job opportunities. But, man, we held out, and we got the baby girl, you know. I mean, she's still my baby. I mean, she is uh, six. Uh, she just lost her second tooth a couple of days ago, you know. She's in first grade, Clara Joyce. Uh, she's an incredible blessing. And she is basically going to turn the world on fire. She's going to set them on fire because she's, just passionate, all out. If she was here today right now, she would be doing cartwheels and round-offs and, and, and the whole sanctuary uh, because she just loves to run around, and she's, uh, she's a fireball for Jesus. So anyways, that's my family. Uh, my other family is my main uh, job. I, I actually teach. I'm a professor at North Central University. Uh, so there's a little picture of North Central University, me leading in chapel. Uh, it's a vibrant university, about 1,100 students. Uh, liberal arts school so you can get your math degree or your music degree or uh, computer science or, or all those types of things. So uh, some of you are probably familiar with North Central if you've been around here a little bit, but uh, that's where I teach. That's kind of, uh, man, where my heart, I get to pour into these students and to build culture there at North Central. Um, and then what's the next slide? Um, the next slide, oh, yeah, the book. All right, so this is the book that Pastor Tom was talking about. And uh, I, you may have seen out there that we did bring some. For me, this is a special week. Uh, I've been talking about this book for a long time. I started really writing it 10 years ago in a sense because God's just been birthing this message in me. But officially started writing it about a year ago. Uh, finished the book in April. 
So I'm sitting here for months just waiting for this thing to come out. Well, just ironically, I don't know how God does things, but uh, it's actually this Tuesday when the book comes out. It'll be in stores. It's online. uh, All those places, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, uh, of course, this little place called Amazon. You probably haven't heard of that before, but you could buy things there. I don't know, just like one click. Boom. It's so powerful. Anyways, um, (laughs) you could buy stuff. uh, But the book, man, this book to me, I really believe this with all my heart that it's a message from the Lord. I, I'm learning from the book myself still because I feel like the Lord is just continually downloading stuff through me. and I'm just kind of typing as he tells me what to put in it, and then I'm still learning. I mean, I was literally, I was telling Pastor Tom, I was driving here, and I was listening Maybe this is a little plug, too, for the audiobook. if you like audiobooks, I mean, I was listening to my own audiobook yesterday driving here, uh, so you can get that available through Audible. But um, I actually read my own audiobook, so I'm actually listening to myself read the book in the car on the way here. Because I'm creating this discussion question thing, and I just need to know, remember what I said in the book, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm learning. I'm just, I'm, I'm hearing it again, and I'm just going, wow, this is this is so powerful for me. It's powerful for my family. It's one thing to speak a message. It's another thing to live a message. Can I say that again? It's one thing to speak a message. It's a different thing to live a message. But thank goodness God has called us through the power of his spirit by faith to be able to live the message. Amen. So I am going to share with you a little bit about the book, just a few highlights. Um, and so uh, one, if, if someone was to ask me, you know, Jeff, what is the book about? Because probably when you see, I, I really, man, I, I wasn't sure I was going to use the word worship on the title, in the title. Because, you know, when you see the word worship, you're just assuming automatically that it's about music, which is part of the message of the book as well. It's not the main message of the book, but that worship is not simply music. That worship is our lives lifted unto God. Music is a part of worship, but our whole lives are meant to be worshiped. So I wasn't sure I wanted to put the word worship in there. But if you ask me, Jeff, what is the book about? It's about this one thing. And honestly, you know, Pastor Tom was saying, and I appreciate the encouragement, Pastor Tom. It's, you might think, wow, this is going to be like super profound, like deep stuff. And I, I really do believe there are deep things in here. There are some things that are, cause you to shift your thinking and question some things. But the message of the book on the surface is very simple. It's so simple. It's almost difficult to understand because it's so simple. Because all it's saying is God wants to have a relationship with you He wants you to move closer to him and that walking, talking, everyday, face-to-face relationship with him. You can see the the subtitle. It says, Cultivating a Closer Friendship with God. It's kind of like a, well, aren't you preaching to the choir, Jeff? And I'm like, yeah, but don't you understand that sometimes the choir has a difficulty living the message even though they've heard the message? So we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to, help uh, both myself and you to be able to live this message of walking and talking face-to-face fellowship with God. Because, guys, I, I really am convinced that many of us are sleeping on the main purpose of life. 
Even in the church, we're sleeping on the main purpose of life, which is true friendship with God. That's the main purpose of our life. It's the main purpose now. It's going to be the main purpose in eternity, you know, to get back to that walking and talking friendship. So we are, I believe, in desperate need of an awakening toward the main purpose of life. Honestly, I think we make it harder than it needs to be. We're running around trying to do all this stuff, busy and trying to save the planet. I'm like, guys, God has already saved the planet. Like, yes, he wants to do work through us, and we're part of his servants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the earth. But our part in that is like the little boy with the lunch. You remember that guy? The little boy with the lunch? He just, you know, there's 20,000 people right, because you got 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 20,000 people on a hillside, and they're all hungry. And the little guy comes up with his lunch and says, here, I've got something. Now, come on. I mean, it's so amazing because you think to yourself, wouldn't Jesus just kind of go, oh, buddy, that's so nice. That's great. Just keep your lunch for your family. I'm God. I'll take care of it, you know. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. This is the beauty of the gospel, man. This is the beauty of how God calls us into the process, right? He says to the little boy, well, yes, we'll take, you know, I'm kind of adding to this, obviously, but through the disciples, they communicate, yes, bring the lunch. Bring what you have. And this is what he's saying to us. Yes, bring what we have, but what we have is so small compared to the need out there. So he doesn't turn us away. But he also wants to highlight the fact that we can't do it on our own and that we're not supposed to save the planet. We're just supposed to take what we have and put it in the, mess, in the, in the, the Savior's hands. And then the Savior will bless it, break it, and multiply it and made it, help it to make, that meet the need that's out there. So this is what he's called us into, not in transforming the planet. He's called us first and foremost to relationship with him. But honestly, I feel like sometimes, guys, we walk more closely in fellowship with religious activity than we do in close fellowship with God. We see church attendance and and these types of things as our ticket to heaven as opposed to a way, a gateway for us just to encounter God and to to deepen our walk with him, our relationship. So do we walk in close fellowship with God? Or do we walk in close fellowship with religious activity? It's, it's not the same thing. Those are two different things. Take this quote from A.W. Tozer. If you don't know who A.W. Tozer is, no worries. Just take my word for it. If you read his stuff, it'll be like you got a kick in the teeth. I mean, he's, he's intense when it comes to, whoa, what is this guy saying? But I love this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says this. He said, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Now, you got to think about that for a second. We are called, I love this, we are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Now, how many of you guys have ever gotten in trouble when you were a kid because you were preoccupied with something that you shouldn't have been and you missed out the thing you were supposed to be paying attention to? You know, I mean, usually we think of this word preoccupied in the negative sense. That's why I love this quote because it flips it on us. Suddenly, being preoccupied is a good thing. I mean, he's like, what? <laughs> you know, I thought this was a bad thing. He's like, no, we're called to an ever 
everlasting preoccupation with God. Guys, think about this. If What if we were so preoccupied with God that we forgot to be worried? Hubby, you know what I'm saying? She's like, well, she got it, right? I mean, she's like, look at this. Like, I was so distracted by how good God is, I forgot to worry. I forgot to be stressed out. I forgot to be afraid. What if, what if I was so preoccupied with God that I forgot to buy into the lies of the enemy? Oops, <laughs> darn, I forgot to buy into his lies because I was face-to-face with God and I didn't even notice those lies because I was preoccupied. Guys, what if we were so preoccupied with God that we forgot to sin? I mean, I'm just so caught up in God and how awesome he is, I forgot to do that thing that I would normally have done because I'm just walking in close fellowship with God. I I wasn't living my life as if he's not around most of the time. Uh, and He's only around when I'm in the church building, and he doesn't really see me. But I'm living my life as we're always together, which inspires me to not sin and to walk with him because it's much more fun to be with him than it is to walk in sin that is there to steal and kill and destroy. What if we were so preoccupied with God that we forgot to sin? So as we get into this, let me just read a passage of Scripture. I told you at the beginning, this book is really about one thing. I want to highlight a Scripture that echoes this. Honestly, the book is just echoing Scripture. That's all it is. It's just me highlighting things that you already know from the Word, but somehow some of these things, they just fly under the radar many times. So I'm going to highlight a passage from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It's a little story, very simple. You've heard it before. Starting at verse 38, it says this, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. None of us have ever said anything like that before, right? Never complained about somebody else not doing the work when we were doing the work. I'm sure you have it. I definitely have. But anyway, so, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, guys, for me, this verse is profound. I'm kind of a bottom-line guy. 
Like, I'm an A-type personality. I like lists. I like organization in my life. You know, most people like to know, hey, what's happening? This tomorrow? That's part of our struggle with the kingdom is we don't, we're not in control. I, I like to be in control, but I'm realizing that, that it's actually impossible. It's, it's, it's designed that I would surrender entirely to him. But I'm a bottom line guy. I like to know, what is this thing all about? What is this book? There's so much complexity here. There's so much craziness. There's so much to learn, so much to know. But if you were to sum it all up, where can I find something that would help me understand what it's all about? Oh, wait, here's a verse right there. Verse 42, it tells me, Jesus himself, that's even better. Jesus, God himself says there's only one thing. Somebody say one thing. I mean, it's not hard. It's not rocket science, is it? It's right there in plain English. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. See, what if we were so preoccupied with God that we forgot to worry? What if we were so preoccupied with God that we discovered the one thing that Mary discovered? Now, let me ask a dumb question. Is Jesus saying here that work, the work that Martha was doing is unimportant or it's wrong or it's sinful? Of course not. We know if we understand the context of Scripture that work is not bad. In fact, it's one of the things he's called us to. Even Paul said if you do not work, you should not eat. I mean, that's important. you got to work then because you got to eat. we got to eat, right? So, but he's not saying that, that, that everything else is unimportant. He's just helping us to understand an order of things. The number one thing, if you had to choose between fixing the dinner and sitting at Jesus' feet, he's saying, I mean, am I, 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 that's all I can see in the Scripture. He's saying here that the most important thing would be to sit at Jesus' feet. That's what Mary was doing, right? She was sitting at Jesus' feet, and she was listening to his word. It's a relational thing that's happening there. She's receiving from Jesus. And Jesus highlights this as, hey, this is the one most important thing that we could ever look into. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to discover, look at four different things that are connected to that passage. All right? So, Father... We just come to you. We ask first and foremost that you would clear our hearts, clear our minds, that you would renew our minds, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, our spiritual ears, so that we can hear what it is you are saying. Lord, wherever there needs to be a shift, wherever there needs to be a change, wherever there needs to be transformation, we welcome you. Say, come, have your way. If there are things that need to be unlearned, Lord, Help us unlearn those things so we can learn the things that you have called us to learn. Highlight today by your spirit what you have for us. And we will willingly receive all you have in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so I want to highlight four things. They're all taken from the book. um, But as I said, the book is taken from Scripture, okay? So number one, God invites us into unimaginable close friendship. Now, guys, we know this. We know that, I mean, I, I grew up with this stuff, right? But we always differentiated between Christianity and the other religions by saying it's a relationship, it's not religion. 
right? I mean, we know that it's about religion or about relationship. But again, I think sometimes we get confused and we have more of a relationship with church activities than we actually do with the God of the universe. See, I grew up in a very conservative church. I got saved when I was four. My dad led me to the Lord. Incredible. My parents are awesome. They taught me about loving the Lord. They taught me about reading my Bible and praying, all this stuff. But, guys, I got I to gotta be honest. Like, I don't think they taught me this, but the assumption in my mind was, well, as long as I read my Bible and pray, that's my ticket to heaven. Like, if I, if I do these deeds, if I do these, if I accomplish these things on the to-do list, then I can go to heaven. And, of course, I didn't want to go to hell. And so I was like, well, I want to do these things. Even worship itself, the musical portion of worship, when the song started playing in my church, we had a piano on one side and an organ on the other, you know, because drums were of the devil. And distorted guitars were definitely from hell. So we didn't use any of that stuff. But we did sing, you know, two songs standing up, two sitting down, stances one, two, and four, never three. I don't know why. Um, I don't know, three is just a bad stanza. I don't know. Or we're trying to get through it quicker or something. I don't know. But, but, but that's how I grew up. But see, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with those songs. There's nothing wrong with the piano or the organ. The, the thing that never happened for me, though, is I never made the connection that while we were singing those songs, it was a great opportunity for me to be able to engage with God during those moments. For me, it was a very horizontal thing happening. For theology, I'm singing theology. I had no concept that during that moment I could actually go vertical. I could actually connect, sing these songs to God, his lyrics to God. So there was just this misunderstanding on my part of what the whole thing was for. There was a misunderstanding of what the word of God was for. I like to say it this way. We don't read the word of God so we can know the word of God process for a second. We don't read the Word of God so we can know the Word of God. We read the Word of God so we can know the God of the Word. Right? Right? That's the whole point. It's not to memorize this book so that when you go to the pearly gates and Peter says, do you know something? I'm like, uh, what's my favorite verse? What's my favorite verse? Uh, John 3, 16. You know, for God so loved the world. I mean, you know, just, just, re- just bringing it back out, regurgitating Scripture memory. That's not the point, right? Not to memorize the Bible. It's to be one with the one who wrote the Bible. It's a gateway for me to know him. We don't need more facts and figures, right? Things to learn and memorize. I'm not saying you shouldn't memorize it. You should because the memorization is going to help you get to know who your father is so when the other voices come in, you can say, nah, 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 nah. I know the voice of my father. I've done memorized it. <laughs> I know how he speaks, and you speak in a different language. That's a lie from the devil. See, it helps you understand, but it's all about relationship, right? These are things that I was trying to learn. Even the context, the, the, the idea of intimacy with God, and that was, that was kind of weird to me, like this idea. I mean, I don't know, ladies, like for me, I could see how 
us guys, we might, I don't mean to be like, you know, sexist or anything. I apologize if you take it that way. It doesn't mean to be. But I think sometimes us guys, when we get these analogies of intimacy with God or like the bride of Christ, I'm like, I don't really want to put on the dress, Lord. Do I have to be the bride? Oh, it's not literal. Okay, great. Um, but, but you understand there's an intimacy factor that God's calling us to in relationship. And when I was young, I remember listening. I don't know if anybody ever remembers Scott Wesley Brown. This is a long time ago. He would sing these songs, and, and, and I was not used to these songs. They were like love songs to Jesus. And it felt just kind of weird. Like, I don't know. Like, kind of, my, my, is it okay if I love Jesus that way? Like, is that weird? You know, intimacy with God. I don't know. I didn't understand those things now. Now I understand God's called me into close friendship, close fellowship where we're not, I'm not going, man, I, I, I don't know. I don't know about God. No, I know the Lord. I know the Lord because I have walked closely with him. He's calling us into this. He's calling us into this. One of the quotes from the book says this, Worship is not an obligation. It is an invitation. Guys, young people, if we can get this right, young people, old people, middle-aged people, every people, if we can get this right, like, it changes your life. If you think that coming to church is an obligation, then you miss the point. It's an invitation. It's not an obligation. You don't have to lift up your hands to worship. You get to lift up your hands to worship. You don't have to be in church. You get to be in church. You don't have to have fellowship with the Father. You get to. What are you telling me? You're telling me the God of all the universe who could put the world back together is invited you into friendship, and you're going to say, eh, no thanks, or Oh, what? Like, or do I have to? Like, what do you mean, do I have to? This is the God of the universe. He's crazy mad over you. Like, like good mad, you know? Like, I love you. Mad, mad, crazy. In love with you, he loves us. And we're saying, oh, do I have to? And if we can get that flipped around, honestly, it, it'll change everything in your life, right? Like, it's not do I have to go to college or do I have to go to school. It's, oh, man, I get to learn. I get to go to school. I don't have to read my Bible. You mean I get? There's so many people around the world who'd have no access to this book. And they would kill that. Not kill, but not, not literally, you know. Because <laughs> they don't know. It says thou shalt not kill. No, anyways. But, <laughs> but no, they would die to be able to get this in their hands. And yet we're kind of going, eh, you know, just the word of God. What? This is who he is revealed to us. Worship's not an obligation. It's an invitation. Guys, listen to this. I love this quote from Bob Sorge. Put this in the book as well. He says this, do you want to be near God in the age to come? It's just positive. That's halfway through his quote. Do you want to be near God in the age to come? Most people, if you even went out on the street and said, hey, do you want to be near God in the age to come? Probably most people would be like, well, yeah, sure, absolutely. But the issue is we don't actually live in a way that shows that we want to be near God in the age to come. It's as if we're spending our whole life trying to be away from him so that hoping still that we can be near him in the age to come. Bob says this, do you want to be near God in the age to come? Demonstrate it by living close Right? It doesn't make any sense to think that, oh, I want to be near God 
in eternity, but I don't want to be near him now. So he's inviting us to be near to him now and near to him in eternity. So that's number one. God invites us into unimaginable close fellowship. Number two, oh man, I'm going to mess with some people on this one. We misunderstand the purpose of the cross. I mean, Jeff, seriously, how hard is it? I mean, Jesus died on the cross, right? He rose again. Our sins are gone. We're forgiven. Boom, celebration. It's over, right? But guys, what we don't understand is that the cross is not the end. It's the beginning, right? Like like him dying on the cross is awesome, and it's impossible for us to get where we need to go without Jesus' death on the cross. But it's not the end. It's the beginning. Can I say it this way? Jesus didn't die for your sins. Pause. Please don't throw anything yet, please. Well, actually, don't throw anything at all. Just, just wait. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. Jesus didn't die for your sins. Jesus died to reconcile you in relationship to the Father, and your sins were just standing in the way. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's, a, it's an awesome thing for us to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. Of course, we must do that. But we misunderstand the purpose of the cross. What's the purpose of the cross? To give us forgiveness? No. Forgiveness is also not the end. It's the beginning. He does give us forgiveness through the cross, but it's the beginning because we can't get to the Father if we aren't forgiven. Okay, all right, all right. Some of you are still looking at me like I'm crazy, and I know. I understand because it's been taught so backwards for so long. Let me give you another verse that you're very familiar with, right? John 14, 6. Man, we know this verse. I am the way, Jesus said this, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we look at that verse and we think, oh, well, that verse is all about Jesus, right? I mean, my goodness, it gives us these incredible characteristics of Jesus. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. But can I tell you that this verse is not about Jesus? We missed the whole second half. What did the second half say? Because there's a reason that Jesus is the way. What is, let me ask this question, what is he the way to? Is he the way to heaven? Is he the way to forgiveness? Is he way, the way to freedom? Well, the good news is the verse itself answers the question for us. What does it say, the second half of the verse? No one can come to the Father except through him. So Jesus is the way to the Father, right? This is the chief end in life. In fact, if you say that Jesus died for our freedom, I would say, and? Because <laughs> freedom's great, but freedom by itself is nothing. Freedom to what? I was, I was literally worshiping the Lord in my hotel room this morning at the Quality Inn down the street. And it is great quality. Um, and I was worshiping the Lord to a song that I had never listened to before, uh, but it's a song from a very well-known church. And I was listening, and we were, we were, I was singing along. The, the, ver, the, the verse lyric said this, You shed your blood for salvation. You broke the curse for our freedom. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. 
I just had to do that. It was good. All right, Jesus, you alone, you rose from death with the morning. You'll come again in your glory. Oh, and then it talks about how he broke the curse of sin. And it seems to kind of rest on these ideas, which are all powerful ideas. But let me ask you the question, why did Jesus break the curse? So you wouldn't be cursed? I mean, that's a good reason, but it's not the main reason. Why did Jesus break the curse? So we could be with the Father. See, the Father wants to reconcile us to himself in relationship, right? It's not rocket, rocket science. It's not really. It's a very simple message. But we somehow miss it because we're so busy talking about the freedom that we have. Freedom to what? Freedom to be with the Father. Why is it great that we're not cursed so that we can be with the Father? Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Again, highlighting kind of one of those one-thing scriptures. If there's one most important thing, Jesus is pointing to it right here. He's saying the most important thing for you to do, the most important thing for me to do is to come to the Father. What did Jesus do? He came here for a few years, right? Did what he was supposed to do. But what did he do? He left. He went back to the Father. And he's saying, if you want to be like me, then come do what I did. I left and went to go be with the Father. So one day, but he's calling us to do that now, right? Our main goal in life is to be with the Father. Can I say this? Salvation is not the one thing. It's the thing that makes the way for the one thing. See, salvation is not an end, right? Somebody say amen, right? Somebody say amen. Salvation is not the end. Like, yay, Lord, salvation. And we should say that. But if that's all we say, we're missing the point. Salvation doesn't exist for salvation's sake. It exists because we can't come to the Father without salvation. The goal of life is to be with God, is to be with our Father in heaven. It's not to be forgiven. It's not to be not cursed. It's not to be free. It's to be with the Father. And all those other things stand in the way. Is this making sense? You haven't thrown anything yet, so that's good. Thankful. I'm very thankful. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, so I'll say one last thing. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven is not the goal. Pause. I mean, the main thing that we tell people is like, hey, if you were to die tonight, do you know that you would go to heaven? And people are like, uh, I hope so. I think so. But guess what, guys? The goal is not to get to heaven. The only reason heaven is great is because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are there. If they weren't there, like we don't care about golden streets. I mean, it's pavement, right? We don't care. We're not going to care about the crystal sea. We're not going to care about the mansions or the crowns on our heads. Those are all great. We're so thankful. But the thing we're going to care about is fellowship with God. We're going to be with God. That's what makes heaven beautiful. The goal of life is not to get to heaven. The goal of life is to get to the Father. You see the difference, right? Now, the Father is in heaven, so, you know, we go, oh, we, we know what you mean. But do we? It's not to get to heaven. It's to get to the Father. That's number two. We must understand the purpose of the cross. Number three. We must avoid being absent in God's presence. 
Now, this is powerful to think through. I was thinking about this, like, Lord, what is it? We use this word, God's presence, you know, like we're just, sometimes, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we have a lot of words in our churches where we say things and we don't even know what we're saying. And so I just was thinking about it, like, Lord, what is your presence? What is your presence? And I realized, you know, and of course, through some Bible study as well, just to understand that there are really two different types of God's presence. There's his manifest presence, and there's his omnipresence. A lot of times we think of kind of one or the other when it's actually a both and. His omnipresence is him everywhere all the time. Like you can't, the Bible tells us, you try to go up to the heights of heaven or down to the depths of the earth, you can't escape him. He's there. He's everywhere, right? But then there's also this thing that we talk about, his manifest presence, where it feels like he's in the room. It feels like he just, oh, man, I've got goosebumps, or I feel like, holy cow, he's, uh, I just have this deep awareness of who he is, right? And you see it in the Old Testament where it says he moved into a room and moved out of a room or whatever, those types of things. So it's a both and. It's not a one or the other, his presence, Right? But so many times, and this is really the bottom line of this, guys. I was leading worship at a youth convention, a couple thousand students, and I felt like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me during that and said, Guy, Jeff, Jeff, there are students who come into these youth conferences. There are people who come into church services, and they engage with the musicians on the stage. They encounter their favorite songs. And they enjoy the atmosphere of the place, even other people encountering God. And they walk out of the building believing they've encountered God when they've only encountered people, songs, and a nice atmosphere. Man, I got to tell you, I was learning in that moment myself. I'm like, whoa, this is heavy. You mean... I could actually lift up my hands and sing the songs and not actually encounter his presence? I mean, isn't it possible to be in the same room with your husband or wife and not actually engaged in their presence? In their physical presence, right? Somebody's watching TV, somebody's reading a book. We're not engaged in relationship at that point, right? If we live our lives that way, we're probably eventually going to get divorced because there's no relationship happening there. We could be in the same room, singing the same songs, listening to the pastor preach the sermon, and still not be engaged with God's presence. I like to say it this way. God's presence is not in the music. Now, music is a wonderful tool, and it helps us experience God. It helps us get into his presence. But if you take the music away, does his presence disappear? See, sometimes we train our congregations that in order for God's presence to be available or accessible, that the music has to be playing. I'm even going to have Christy come and play in a little bit, and she's going to play, and we're like, oh, that feels much better. When Jeff talks with the piano, now God's presence is here. But we got to train everybody, right? We got to go, hey, wait a minute. Let's just close our eyes for a minute. Is God with us? Is he with us? Is his presence only found in music? He's here. He lives in me. His presence is here. So the thing that I started to ask myself is, and I mean, you know, we sing a lot of songs like this as well, but we sing a lot of songs where we feel like we're kind of begging God to show up. Like, God, come. God, come. And I mean, some of that is double language. You know, we're echoing 
Revelation, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, like for second coming, come, right? But I started realizing the question isn't so much, is God going to show up in our services? The question really is, are we going to show up in our services? I, are we just going to be absent in his presence? He's calling us. Are we just going to come in, clock in, and clock out of church, Right? Some of the young people have no idea what I'm talking about, but, you know, it's a physical. Anyways, yeah, but, <laughs> but you're just like in and out. It's like, hey, I come to do my duty. I come to church. I sign in. I sign out. I did my God thing for the week when his presence is available to you all week long. And really, scripturally, it, it backs this up as well. We look at uh, Ephesians 3.12. And Hebrews 4.16, both of those verses invite us to come boldly into his presence. See, so it's not so much asking him to come as it is us entering in, right? It's not so much will he show up, it's will we show up. So will we? Will we be absent in his presence or will we be present in his presence. Number four, worship was not made for God. All right, Jeff, now you've gone too far. <laughs> worship was not made for God. What are you saying? All right, let me just say it this way. Worship is about God, and it's to God, Right? I mean, it has to be all about him, right? I understand there are complaints these days about some of the songs being very me-focused, right? And I think that can be an issue because it needs to be about God. Worship is about God. How can it be about anything else? It's also directed to God. It's directed to him. It's not directed to me or you or anyone else. That's where we get into trouble, right? But worship is for you. It's for me. He's like, what do you mean, Jeff? This sounds like a self-absorbed gospel. No. Everything in the Bible, is everything in the kingdom is given to us as a gift. Salvation is a gift, right? It's not for God. It's for us, right? What about forgiveness? Is forgiveness for God? No. It's for us. It's a gift. Worship is also a gift. Let me just put it to you this way. This, is, this will speed this up a little bit. And so I'm like, yeah, we can get to lunch. No, um, if I just say this, who's changed more when we worship, God or me? I mean, that, that pretty much, I mean, because God's not changed, right? Now, he enjoys our encounter, our relationship. He wants that, but God does not need our worship. He's completely self-sufficient with or without our worship. Who's changed more when we worship, God or us? We are. It's a beautiful thing. So guess what? You go down the line then and go, oh, wait a minute. Are you telling me then that if I don't worship, I'm not hurting God. I'm actually hurting me. Because worship was designed for me. In fact, the DNA that's in me is saying you were made to worship. And if you refuse to worship, you're not hurting God or anyone else. You're actually damaging yourself. It's like taking your car, which was made for unleaded gasoline, and saying, I don't care. I'm going to put Sprite in instead. I 
can do whatever I want to do, but you're doing something that wasn't made to do. The car is not going to operate with Sprite in the tank. That would be a neat experiment, by the way. But anyways, um, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> but it, the whole point is you were made to worship. And when you refuse, you say, I don't, do I have to lift up my hands? No, no, you get to. It's because what you were made to do. And if you refuse, then it's actually hurting you. God is saying, I made you for this. So if you do it, it actually helps you. Because it's what you were made for. It's what you were called, it's what you were created for. It's me who is changed as I lift my hands or bow my knees to my creator, not him. It's my own heart that is set free when I dance before him or sing in harmony with his people, not his. It's my perspective that is renewed when I stand trembling before him in awe and wonder, not his. I like to say it this way. It's my ears that need to hear my mouth singing the praises of God. It's my ears. My ears desperately need to hear my mouth out loud saying, God is good. He is with me. He is for me. Something awakens in me when I begin to say these things. You know, we're talking about awakening pure worship. When you speak these things out, your heart is stirred, and you come into alignment with his truth, and you are so preoccupied with him that now you are forgetting to worry, to fear, to buy into the lies of the enemy. Christy, will you come? God is saying to us, I don't need anything. And I certainly don't need you to worship me. I do enjoy relationship with you. But most of all, I wired you to need to worship me. When you worship me, it does not fulfill a need that I have, but it fulfills a foundational need that you have. Do you understand? This is the Lord's heart to us. So I got to be honest, guys, my heart is broken. Just like you, I have so many friends in my life who, people in my life, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles that have turned away from the Lord. My heart is broken. I'm just like, Lord, what is it that we're missing? We're so consumed with all the things of the world, the cares and the worries. We're not consumed with the one thing that we were designed for is to know God. To walk with Him and talk with Him. It's where it all started with Adam and Eve in the garden. They just hung out together, did life together. This is what God is trying to get us back to. This is why he sent his son, Jesus, Jesus, to die for us, not to end, not as an end, but as a means to an end, which is reunited fellowship with God. I mean, what if, what if, guys, what if I told you, what if I told you that you could do one thing in your life and it would help take away fear, apathy, worry, depression? What if there was one thing you could do 
Man, I sound like a car salesman, right? But I'm telling you, this is what the Word says. There's one thing you could do. I'm convinced that people, I mean, we've never had more people in the church that are saying, I'm depressed, or I am fearful, or I, and they're declaring these things over their lives. But what if the reason we don't have peace is because we're not hanging out with the Prince of Peace? I mean, how can we expect to have peace in our life if we're never with the one who is peace? It's not that, that God has peace for you. It's that he is peace. He embodies peace. And if you'll hang out with him, it'll rub off on you. Maybe the reason we're depressed is because we're not hanging out with the joy giver. We've lost our joy because we're not being with our Father in heaven. We're so busy with other things. So my challenge for us today, guys, and I, you know, some of you have been living this message all of your life, and you're just saying, there's no revelation here, there's just confirmation. All those of you who are kind of going, what just happened? My mind's been blown. I want to be close to God. That is the end all be all is to walk in close fellowship with him. And you might say, well, Jeff, I thought it was about, you know, sharing the gospel or about discipleship, evangelism. And you know what? Those things are absolutely vital. But all work for the kingdom comes out of or flows out of relationship with God. You can't share a God with someone that you don't know. So as you, I mean, do you want to be an evangelist who touches the world? Do you want to, Tell people about Jesus. Do you want to increase in those areas? Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with the Father. Go sit at the Father's feet, just like Mary did. And you will get the spirit of evangelism. You won't be able to shut up talking about how awesome your God is because you spend time with Him. It makes sense, right? We're going to I know we're running a little bit late, and it's okay. I'm just going to take a couple more minutes and allow, if anybody wants to have prayer, we'll have uh, the prayer team come and be available, or if you just want to come and kneel at the altar. Uh, if, you, if you do that, you know, we're not going to think you're a bad person. Like, all of us need to come and kneel at the altar. All of us need to say, God, I get distracted. I just want to be reunited with you. I can join you in this prayer, guys, today. So even as we let the music play, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And if you would like prayer or if you would like to step out and say, you know what? I want to go deeper in this walk with God. I want God to awaken pure worship in me. And I'd encourage you to step out, come to the altar, pray, talk to him fellowship with him. Use, him. use this moment, even as Christy sings, to just fellowship with him for a few moments and respond to him. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, Holy Spirit, come, we come. Mm, yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you.
you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Come on, declare it this morning. Great is the Lord. Great are you, Lord. You give life. You give life. You are.
So guys, I want to challenge you and encourage you. If there's one practical thing that you could do, say, what? How, how do I make a shift? How do I make a change? How can I apply this message to my life? It would be to increase your one-on-one -on -one time alone with God every day. So if you spend maybe once a week hanging out with God a little bit, man, make it twice a week. If you spend five minutes every day with Jesus, reading your Bible or something, spend 10 minutes. If you spend an hour with God every day, which some of you probably do or more, then increase from there. Hey, spend more time with the Lord because he's calling us into this beautiful Amen. fellowship relationship with him. Amen. I'll give you one last scripture. I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Tom. David said this in Psalm 27, verse 8. And this should be our, our response this morning. This is what he said. He said, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. The Father is inviting you to come and talk with him. Come and be with him. Come and live with him. And what is our response? We say, Lord, my heart has heard you say, and my heart responds, I am coming. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I want to, if you want to stay in prayer, we're going to leave you to, to do that. Uh, I just want to echo that. Don't leave um, the truth that you've heard in this room. Don't leave it in this room. Um, when I read this book this summer, um, it just awakened something in my heart. Um, things, when I read the scripture now, leap off the page that have been there the whole time. And I just never saw it before. And so I challenge you to just take this invitation and draw closer to your father. That's all he wants. He doesn't speak to condemn. He doesn't speak to bring guilt or shame. He speaks to bring life. And all he's saying is, come closer, come closer. And so, Father, we hear your call today. And, God, we respond, we're coming. We're coming. Holy Spirit, we need your grace. We need your help. We need your strength to continue to come when we don't feel like coming, when we don't think we have the strength to come. We need your help. And we just ask for it today. God, I pray that this message, this cry of your heart, would begin to resonate in this body more and more. God, that it would not just resonate in our hearts, but God, it would resonate on our tongues. That everywhere we go, God, that we would want others to be in relationship with you. God, that this would become such a part of who we are, that it would become a part of every conversation that we have. God, that for those that have struggled for years with the desire to want to share their faith, God would realize that they're sharing their faith without even knowing uh, what they're doing. God, help us to become so preoccupied with you that we forget everything else. God, help us to be responsible, to be faithful. Uh, but God, we know that you are those things. And so if we get preoccupied with you, you'll lead us to do those things because yeah. they're in your heart too. So I pray your blessing over this body today. God, I pray your blessing over this message, uh, this book as it's released this week. God, in the right hands at the right time. God, just awaken pure worship in the hearts of people all across this nation, all around the world. 
God, we know that uh, you have always way more in store than we can imagine or ask. And so, God, we just want this this truth, uh, this thing in your heart to resonate in the hearts of people. Now, I pray your blessing over this body today. God, may you bless them. May you keep them. May you cause your face to shine on them. May you lift up your countenance to them. May you give them peace. Be gracious to them, I pray in Jesus' name. Again, if you need to be dismissed, uh, feel free to be dismissed. There is offering baskets here in the front. If you haven't yet done that and you want to bring an offering, there's a table in the back. If you want to stop and pick up some resources or just visit with Jeff, I know he'd love the opportunity to meet you. And so God bless you as you go today.